shop, close the doors. Seek God. <laughs> Just stop business as usual. Go hard after seeking the Lord. And that was kind of the posture that we uh, took when uh, we were on this 40-day journey. Although I am very excited to be done. I'm not going to lie. I'm, 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 yeah, okay. Some of you more religious people are like, no, man, I love it. Let's do it again. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I'm not the fasting type. Uh, I love my food. I, I say that a lot here, so I won't bore you with the details. Um, it's because I love it so much, I always talk about it, you know? It's, whenever there's a discussion about fasting or food in general, I get geeked. I just love food. How many love food? Okay, a couple of you guys. Any uh, vegetarians in the house today? We'll pray for you. We'll pray for you. You don't know what you're missing. You don't know what you're missing. Okay, okay. Jesus is enough. Okay. Awesome. I love it. I love that. Um, well, my name is Daryl Temple. I know that we have a huge uh, transient community, comes in and out. New people are among us all the time. Matter of fact, uh, our Easter service was packed uh, to the T, and I didn't really even notice, but maybe a handful of people. I couldn't, you know, just, it's always like that. But we want to welcome first, second time, third time, fourth time, fifth time guests to our service this evening. Uh, we hope that at some time uh, you're able to find a home within here or within Hilltop or a home anywhere. You know, it's not good to constantly be, although it's good to search, it's also better to actually find a place, right? Find a home. And that kind of falls suit into what I'm going to be preaching on this evening, of which I'm very excited. I wish there were more people here. We got a lot of people missing. Uh, but this is specifically for our community, but also the, for those who are still maybe trying to uh, find a place of worship, find a community, find a family to do church life and to be disciplined, uh, not disciplined, excuse me, that's just terrible. Although you probably feel like that sometimes when you attend a church, you know, there's nothing bad with that, you know. Oh, the discipline of the Lord simply means that you're a child of God. That's what Hebrews says, right? It says, you know, if you're not being disciplined or chastened, it's because you're an illegitimate child. I didn't write it. That's what the Bible says. So it's actually a good thing. We should embrace it. Uh, anyways, that's not my message. If you would turn with me to Psalms chapter 84. Is everybody okay? Is everybody fine? Hey, man, the sun is out. It's, I heard it's close to 65 degrees out there. Probably why church is a little anemic today. I won't be like, you know, it's, it's been like the Alaska tundra, you know, out there in New England. It's just like the never-ending story with the snow. What was it? Uh, just this week we had maybe a, 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 you know, it was a squall, but I mean, we, we got some accumulation back at home where I live. I mean, back at home, it's 30 minutes away. Uh, but anyways, it was a bummer. I was depressed. I literally had to have my wife pray for me and break a spirit of depression off me. I think even my son was depressed. My son literally looks out the window. He gets up, oh, come on, not again. Hey, he, I mean, he's five years old. He's got the life. What is he worried about? A little snow, but it's, it's enough. And, um, you know, whenever that vitamin D hits us here in New England, we're always very excited. We're hoping it sticks around. And I'm sure some people are out today enjoying it. Um, but being the pastor, I don't get that luxury. I have to go to church. Uh, you know, there's a story of a man who is oversleeping. And his wife was poking at him saying, honey, you got to get up. Honey, you got to get up. And he's ignoring her. He's like, go away. I want to sleep. I want to sleep. She's like, honey, it's time for church. You got to go to church. I don't want to go to church. And she says, but you're the pastor. You got to go. Uh, all right. Christian joke's gone bad, I guess, here in New England. All right. Psalms 84, are you there? Psalms 84. 
How many brought your Bible today? How many are still sporting paperback? Come on, okay. How many got your smartphone? Or how many are lying? You just have your smartphone in your hand with no Bible app on it. Come on, be honest, be honest. I know you're out there, Jacob Kim. No, just kidding. (laughs) No, but it's good to bring your Bible with you. It's good to have your Bible on you. Come on. It's good to have your Bible with you. It's good to have your Bible on you, not just when you attend church services, but in general. You know, this thing is like attached to my hip. It's like my second child. And uh, it's, you know, it much takes the posture in my life that this should take, the Word of God, you know, and we're so, you know, accustomed to just having our electronics and our gadgets and our gadgets around us, but we give little attention sometimes and overlook the more important things in the Word of God. Psalms 84, verse 1. I'm going to call this, or entitle this message, PS84. No, it's not PlayStation. You know, okay, another joke gone bad. I'm sorry about that. I'm really trying. I feel like if I'm to make you laugh in the beginning, it might soften the blow of some things that we're going to talk about. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. It's going to be good. Listen, Psalms 84. How many are familiar with this passage of Scripture? Raise your hand. Okay, five of you. That's great. You guys are really reading your Bible here in New England. It's awesome. So excited. Psalms 84. Let's take up reading. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. And uh, that's the translation we want to put on the overhead just so the kids don't get confused. All right. Verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's army. We're going to stop right there, I know. Really, you know, that just killed the whole feel of the sermon. But we're going to stop right there because I want to define the dwelling place as David understood it. Because I've sometimes have heard about the dwelling place as some kind of heavenly place, you know, some kind of off in the distance beyond the clouds type of place. And what I want to do, put this disclosure in here in defining the dwelling place, is that the dwelling place actually to David was a physical structure. Okay? It was a physical structure, especially here in Psalms 84. It was a building. It was a temple of where the Ark of the Covenant resided. And if you're not familiar, you can look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 12 or 1 Kings chapter 8. And you can, in those chapters, become more familiar with the temple. But I think it's important to identify the dwelling place in verse 1. So that's why I want to park right there. What's the dwelling place? It's a physical structure. It's much like what we're doing here, although this is a hotel. It's not a church. It's not a temple. It's a place that we're renting so that we can do these services. But this, in David's definition, is actually a physical structure with an address that people gather to because the presence of the Lord dwells there. The presence of the Lord dwells there and it's in that structure, if you would, that God reveals himself to his people. And so when David is saying, how lovely is your dwelling place? He's saying, how lovely is this temple? Now, that probably goes a little far for some of us. We all know that God does not dwell in houses made by human hands, right? He dwells within us. Thank God for Jesus, right? We're now the dwelling place of God. But that doesn't overshadow what David is talking about. That's New Testament reality. Absolutely, we're going somewhere. Say to your neighbor, he's going somewhere. 
Say to your other neighbor, do you want to go out on a date? You know, if she's the opposite sex, it's okay. It's okay. You know, I'm pro, I'm pro dating. I'm pro courting. Some of you guys got to get married. I'm just saying, we got to get this on. And if I can start the thing, then let's, I'll start it gladly. Amen. Now, if you're next to another girl, another guy, I'm sorry. You should have sat somewhere else. You know, that's just the bottom line. You never know. That could have been start of a beautiful relationship right there. And you missed out. Oh, he's going a little too far. So the other side of the quarter, the other side of the coin would be that although David in verse 1 is putting the emphasis on the physical structure, at the core of the psalmist's desire is not the structure alone, but it's what dwells inside that structure. It's what takes place inside those walls because of the presence of the Lord. Are you with me? Are you really with me? Are you just nodding your head and, okay, good, good. So it wouldn't be just right to focus on the temple because in the Old Testament, it was very easy for people to make structures and buildings idols, right? But here in Psalms 84 and other places in Psalms, we see that David had a bit of a fascination, if you would. He had a bit of excitement when it, came to the house of God. But it was for a reason. It wasn't necessarily just a fixation with the structure and the beauty of this house, but it was what took place inside the four walls of that temple. You know, I think much like what we have at Jehob, it's, you can't put a price tag on it. When I go to that house, man, you know, it's not always glorious, but it's more glorious than it's not glorious. And, and, and I don't necessarily just exalt the structure, if you would, but I love what goes on in those four walls. I, I love it so much that I want to uh, frequent there often. I want to not just be here and there visiting. I want to dwell there. I want to be there. Why? Because God is doing something special in the place. Now, it's not about the structure. Maybe it's about the people who are in the structure. I don't know. But nevertheless, it's a glorious thing when the presence of God encounters a group or a community or a church. And it's something that should, like it did with David, build a certain amount of excitement, a certain amount of expectation for God to minister and to reveal himself in the house. Amen? Okay. I'm going to get all of you on board by the end of this service. I, I swear to God. i got about five, I think, right now. Just, you know, feeling it out. But I'm, I'm, I'm committed to getting all of you on. Now, why, why would I bring this up? I bring this up to say that David was pro-church. David was pro-temple. Whatever they called it, synagogue, I don't know. He was pro-church. But not only was he pro-church, he was pro-presence of God, which ultimately made him pro-church. It wasn't the structure, but it was what took place inside the structure that fascinated David, where his definition was, how lovely is this dwelling place? How lovely is, are you kidding me? This is awesome. And so it was David being 
touched by the presence of God that ultimately cultivated inside of David a love for the house of God or the dwelling place. Are you with me? Okay, one guy. I think it was Will. Thank you, Will. Anybody want to man up like Will while I'm preaching? It'd be fine. Even if you don't agree, just say yeah. Okay. Turn with me just a couple chapters back. I hear a what there? It's okay, guys. Uh, Turn to Psalm 63, verse 2. Psalm 63, verse 2. Just a couple pages back. Page 469, if you're in the uh, New Living Translation. <laughs> it's another one of my jokes. I'm really trying. 63, verse 2. One, one sentence. Here it is. I have seen you in your sanctuary. I gazed upon what? Your power and glory. Now, again, this wasn't some kind of, you know, off in the distance, God in the clouds. It was... I have seen your power, God, and your glory in the sanctuary. I have seen these things. They've manifested themselves in a certain address, if you would, or at a certain address. And it's funny that David wrote this when he was in the middle of the wilderness. (laughs) That's how much the effects of God's presence had on David for the house of God. Are you with me? He's in a dry and barren land, and he's giving you know, testimony, if you would, of the power and the glory of God that he's vividly, vivid, vividly seen in the sanctuary. I, I know sometimes you're like, what is he looking at? I don't know. It's just, it, there's a bit of acting here. You know, I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm going to lie, okay? This isn't easy for me. No, I'm just joking. But he's in a barren dry, arid land, and he, he's brought back to talking about how thirsty, how hungry he is for the presence of the Lord. And then in verse 2 he says, I have seen your power and glory in the sanctuary. Some of you guys are already tired because you know where I'm going. But get excited because I hope to inspire you for the house of God. To have zeal like David had for the house of God. To have zeal like Jesus did for the house of God. Okay, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Psalm 63, verse 2. David knew the power and the glory of God dwelled in the house of God. And because of that, he eagerly awaited those times of going to the temple. Not because, again, of some fixation with some structure. Not because he was like, oh, this, this, this place is beautiful. This, look at the, the artwork. Look at the craftsmanship, if you would. But because he knew a beautiful and majestic God would encounter his heart in the temple. And what are you saying? So what are you saying, Daryl? We, we need like a location for... No, I, I'm not saying that. You know, it's funny that we would result to that way of thinking, but I talk to some of you. I'm a pastor. I just don't do this job here. I'm having meetings, sit-downs, and some of these meetings I have, not to put you... Listen, I've been that guy. I still am that guy. Every pastor needs a pastor. I go to my pastor with my woes. I go to them with my challenges, with my depression, everything. So I am not at all attacking that element. But some of us just do not have a hunky-dory private life. Let's just, let's just face it. Because we have... Why do I say that? Because we... It's so predominant. You know, the, the, the way of thought is so predominant, especially in New England, that 
we've become so individualistic. Is that the right word to use? Help me, those who are word buffs. We've become so individualistic in our approach and our relationship with God. But that is so anti-New Testament church. That's not what it's about. Again, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let's look to where David also talked about the house of God. You can go to Psalms 122. Man, I'm flipping. I should get Psalms 122. This is when an iPad helps. Psalms 122, verse 1. Again, just one little sentence. 122, verse 1. I was glad. I was happy. I was excited when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Again, a physical location. A physical structure. Let's go, if you would, to Psalms 27, just in case that wasn't good enough for you. Uh, I know it's kind of felt like, kind of like a pin drop there on that verse, but let's go to Psalms 27, starting in the fourth verse, and we'll read to the sixth. Here's David saying this, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek the most, <laughs> listen to the language. Now, he's a king. He's busy. He's got a lot on his plate. He is, he is ruling an entire people. Because I just, I just put that disclosure in because some of us act like we're just way too busy for the, for, for the presence of God or just to even give him even a, a, a minuscule, a little drop of our time. David was a king. I'm a pastor of maybe 150 people. And my plate is full. But you know what? Not to make time for the presence of God would be dangerous. And David knows this and listen to him. The one thing I ask, the one thing I seek is to go get a nice education and have a picket fence when I grow up with two kids. The one thing I ask, the one thing I seek is job security, a 401k and a nice retirement. I think they're the same 401k, but um, uh, the one thing I ask and the one thing I seek is a husband. Oh, my God. Oh, a girlfriend. God, give me a girl. Am I, am I reaching too, a little too far? Oh, come on. I don't need to preach. I got two ladies. Listen, it's okay to shake your head and just wave at me. Just like, you know. I enjoy all that stuff. You know, I'm, I'm a little conservative, but I, I got some charismatic blood in me. The one thing I ask, the one thing I seek, or sorry, the thing I seek the most is to what? Live in my own house with my nice white picket fence. No, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To delight in his perfections and meditate where? Meditate where? In his temple. Physical location, baby. That is a place. I got excited about that. Because, again, I've heard so many people preach about these, on these passages. I'm not trying to slam. I'm trying to stay very positive here. That's, if you know me, that's very hard to do. But they make this temple or this dwelling place some high and lofty, in the clouds somewhere, like David just like, 
I love your dwelling place up there. I hope I can dwell there. I want, I want to be in your temple. No, this was actually a place. It had a roof over it. And it had a God who dwelled in it. Now, I know, I know. Well, you know, the earth is not the Lord's home. I get it, I get it right. But it's his footstool. Verse 5, for he will conceal me when troubles come. He will hide me in what? His sanctuary. He will conceal me when troubles come. Where will he conceal you? Where will he keep you safe, David? In his sanctuary. There is a place of safety in the presence of the Lord. Some of you are so filled with anxiety and fear and it keeps you from the presence of God but there is a place in the house of God in the temple in the sanctuary of God where there is safety where he will conceal and do a work in you he will place me out of reach on a high rock then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me at his sanctuary I will offer sacrifices of shouts of joy, with shouts of joy, excuse me, singing praises to the Lord with music. One more, Psalms 26, verse 8. I know we're jumping around here. 26, verse 8, is everybody okay? Yeah. All right, it's only 519. We're 19 minutes into this. We're doing good. Just to put it in perspective. Helping you out, helping you out. 26, verse 8. I, what, love your sanctuary, Lord. The place where your glorious presence dwells. I love your sanctuary, God. I love this place. I love, I love this place, God, where your presence, where your glory dwells. Some of us, we don't even have that. That is nowhere on our grid when it comes to church. That is nowhere on our grid when it comes to house of prayer. We gotta drag ourselves there. Hopefully, by the grace of God, you know, we gotta kind of pump ourselves up. Well, maybe it will be good this time. Well, maybe it being good depends a lot more on you than it does God. Because David, I'm sure, wasn't always good, but David had a sense of anticipation when it came to going to the house of God. He expected something when he went there. And those are noted vividly clear in the writings and these are just a few friend these are just a few i think the deepest affections towards the house of god are reflected in david's desire to build the house i mean have you read some of those stories ultimately he couldn't why because he was a man of war blood was on his hand but you know what someone in his family did it Let's go to Psalms 84.2, bringing it back home in the chapter that we're gathering around and discussing today. Chapter 84, verse 2. Listen, the language here, it's beautiful. I long, yes, I faint with longing. (laughs) I gotta get up this morning. I gotta go play music at 8 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Why did they change the service time? Why? I long, yes, I faint. It's 
not enough just to long. He faints with longing. <laughs> we understand that, you know, if you were to meet your favorite musician, if you were to meet your favorite, uh, you know, actor or whatever, I mean, there would be that sort of kind of, oh, my God. But David is elated. Not about an actor. Not about some new TV program. Not about some musician who's doing the latest and greatest sounds and, and writing. He's, he's excited. He longs, even faints for what? The courts of the Lord. The courts of the Lord, which in essence is just another way of saying his dwelling place, which to go further is just again bringing it right back to that structure. That physical building that represented so much for David. And what happened there? He goes on as if that wasn't enough. In the second half of verse 2 he says, with my whole being, <laughs> body and soul, nothing Nothing left off the table. Everything, God. Not just the outwardly, but the internally. Things in my soul and inside. Oh, they long for your courts. I will shout joyfully to the living God. My soul faints and longs for the courts of the Lord. Again, the true object to make this perfectly clear. The true object of the psalmist's devotion isn't the temple, but the God, listen, who, re, who chooses, excuse me, to reveal himself in that temple. Nevertheless, David has a peculiar sense of respect and awe surrounding God's house, excuse me, given the presence of God that dwells there. It's clear everything within David is totally consumed, not just consumed, but committed. Listen to me. Committed! Oh, that's a hard word in today's society and culture. In the church, oh, Daryl, don't say that word. But everything within David is consumed and committed to the house of God. Even the deepest internal affections of David are stirred for the courts of God. Hearing me, you know where I'm going, don't you? <laughs> there is no shame in my game, friend. I do not feel the least bit like I shouldn't touch upon these things. We need to talk about them, and especially in New England, friend. We have such a callous, casual, unengaged, unconcerned approach to the house of God. <laughs> Somebody else will do it. I'm not mad. I'm very happy. My wife is beautiful. She was a gal who was uh, sharing here earlier. My son is probably the coolest kid I know. Not probably, is the coolest kid I know. And that makes me happy. David's desire goes to great lengths. Again, if we pick up reading in verse 3, he says, Even the sparrow finds her home and builds her nest, and raises her young at the place near the altar of God. 
His desire goes to great lengths. He sees the sparrow who has found a home. <laughs> and with playful envy, right? Maybe even a bit jealous that that sparrow is able to be so close to God. And in himself, he's like, oh, I want that. I want that. I want what that bird has. That's what he's saying. I'm sure some of us are ready to be like, what are you, you know, the dwelling place, the sparrow? What are we talking about birds for? David is saying, I want what that sparrow has. I want to take up permanent residency in this house. How many of us feel like that when it comes to the things of God? Seriously, hear me, hear me. God, open our ears that we might hear. Help us not to be easily offended, God, when it comes to the truth. But do a work within us that we respond to the truth rather than get offended. But David is jealous of the bird, friend, and he wants what that sparrow has. Because it's summer really in verse 4 where he says what joy for those who can live in your house always singing your praises that's the conclusion <laughs> what joy it is for those who can take up their dwelling in the place of where the Lord's presence resides I recently came upon this uh, poll. You've probably seen it. Um, but it shows the least biblical-based cities and church-engaged cities in America. And unfortunately, our beloved Boston rates 98%. The least unbiblically-based and the least engaged in the affairs of church. Staggering. Five cities out of, I'm sorry, three, I'm sorry, five cities. Yeah, I just butchered that. How are we doing? Let's come back. <laughs> let's cut that portion of the tape out. And let's come back. Out of five cities, that's what I want to say, three were on the East Coast. The top five, yes, the top five. Okay, three of those cities were on the East Coast. We tracking up? Okay. In New England, East Coast. Well, they, yeah. Thank you, honey. <laughs> New York, um, New York's Albany and Schenectady and Troy rated at 99% in Rhode Island and New Bedford, Mass. Wow. Rated 100. Wow. 100%. That is scary. That should awaken us. And I don't say that to discourage or disappoint. I only bring it up to say we have a tremendous task ahead of us. We have a tremendous task, but yet a great opportunity. Friend, will you be part? Will we be part of reshaping the facts? God's looking for a people who will. God's looking for people who aren't just looking to be part of the Bless Me Club. Just go to church for my decent bagels and my lemon water. 
The church was always meant to be an agent of change in the earth. Always. Is this okay? Let's go back to Psalms 84. We're going to skip down to verse 10. David says this, a single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. He reduces it down to this. I would rather be a gatekeeper at your house. If that's all I got, God, that's all I can do, it's good with me. I'll open the doors for people to get into your presence. It's like us saying, I'll be a janitor. If that's what it means to be at church, to be part of the church, to be serving the church, I will clean toilets, God. It's taking the lowest of jobs just so you can be the nearest to the one that your heart beats for and longs for the most, God in His presence. How many of us feel like the psalmist feels about being in the God's presence? How many of us look at being in God's presence as an opportunity? Or do we look at it as being a duty? Something that we have to do. I just got to go to... If I don't go, then Daryl will say something. He'll preach about it, God. I know it. This has nothing to do with church attendance. I could care less. I'm looking for to get at the core of the issue through what we're doing here at Hilltop. I didn't come to just do a nice little church, nice, beautiful, you know, oh, brother, sister. No. I, 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 I didn't come here to do that. I don't even want that. I don't want that. Let them have that. I don't need it, don't want it, don't care for it. I want God to raise up his ecclesia to be that agent of change that Boston needs. Boston needs. This city, Cambridge, needs a shining lamp that's set up on a hill that unashamedly does not give in to the pressures of mediocrity and casual Christianity. It's quite a miracle today in culture to find people who actually acquire the same unique longings that David does here in Psalms 84. Let alone, you know, we could talk about the presence of God all we want, but let alone the house of God. The two run tandem in David's language. They're, they're like inseparable. The house of God, the presence of God. Boom! Just do that to wake you up a little bit, that's all. You're scared. It's okay. You know, I'm just going to say this. Um, but I, I, just, you know, in studying these verses and looking at the Word of God about the specific topic that we're talking about, it's hard for me to reconcile um, a believer who says they have a strong desire or an appetite for the presence of the Lord, but frequently are found in the church. I just, I can't, I can't get it. I don't, I don't, I can't, boop, I can't connect the dots. If you can help me, I would love it, but I just, I don't get it. I don't think I need help, because I think it's actually a, a very clear assessment of the situation. But it's, it's hard for me when people come to me and say, oh, Daryl, I am 
I, you don't understand. I am so passionate for God. I long for him. Daryl, I got to preach Sunday, I think. You don't know how much I long for the Lord. But yet you didn't see that brother or sister for about five weeks. Matter of fact, you went in your thoughts and didn't even know if they left or died or skipped town. But I very rarely seen things add up with people who say they're affectionate for God, but yet show little interest in the things of God. Hear me. Can we be honest? Can we be clear? Can we? Yeah. We don't want to candy coat things. We don't want to. But I rarely see people who tell me that they're passionate for God without them giving themselves wholeheartedly to the things of God. Now, I understand there has to be some balance here. I get it. I mean, for us to think, you know, dwelling in the house of God, what is Daryl saying? He wants me to, like, you want me to live at J-Hop? Cool, I'll do that. No. I'm talking about the heart. Talking about the heart. I'm not trying to be religious, guys, in that statement. I'm certainly, if anything, I could use a little bit more pure and undefiled religion in my life. I'm a little bit too casual, you know, And I could use a little bit more of God's pure and undefiled religion. (laughs) I'm not even talking about a building. I'm not talking about a structure. But I'm talking about being in the building with the people who God chooses to dwell in. That will preach itself. We see in Psalms 84 the connection David makes between the courts or the house of God being a place of which God dwells. Therefore, David is what? He's drawn. He's drawn to the house of God because the presence of God and what he finds there. Even going as far as in verse 4 to saying, I want to dwell here. I want to live here. I see what this bird has. As funny as that sounds. And I want it. Now again, I know that God does not dwell in houses made with human hands, Acts 7.48. But he dwells in the lives of those who sit in houses made by human hands. <laughs> is that going a little too far? Was that just lame? No, but think about it. I, I get it. He doesn't dwell in structures, but he dwells in us. And more of God is seen amongst us than our own little individualistic approach or pilgrimage. There's a reason why this makes sense. Because you cannot do it alone. I cannot do it alone. You need me, I need you. (laughs) Because in our relationships, we reflect the fullness of who God is. I, I, I get excited about that. The only thing that the church structure provides what is a meeting place. That your children, I'm sorry, the church building offers a place to come together. God cares about that. He cares about our togetherness. Let me say that again. God 
cares about our togetherness. Turn with me to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Someone say, man, this is good. Now turn to your neighbor and say, wow, he is good. (laughs) Some of you are very unimpressed with that. Matthew 18, verse 20, popular verse. For where two or three are gathered, as my followers, as my believers, where is God? He is there. He's present. It's funny that the verses that would precede that one little verse that we all recite all the time would talk about how to handle really church relationships. (laughs) You know, verses 15 through 17, I'm sorry, 19, talk about how we're to deal with conflict amongst one another. (laughs) We get so checked out if there's any, listen, we're kind of new in our relationship. Listen to me now. We're kind of new in our relationship. We're still in a bit of a honeymoon stage. You know? You know, cruising down. I mean, where do you guys want a honeymoon at? Paris, Miami, New Orleans, London, Belfast, and Berlin. No. Um, But we're still in the honeymoon stage, aren't we? I think we're actually beyond honeymoon. We've preached some pretty hard stuff here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me just clarify that. Let's get that out of here. Um, but for some of us, we're still in that stage. But you know what? If, if God is in the middle of the two and three, then I'm able to work out my relationships with you. I'm able to work out my conflict with you. Why? Because of the bigger picture. God is amongst us. He's present. Isn't, listen, I, I didn't have it in my notes, but let's, let's read the verses preceding in context to this message. If another believer sins against you, go to him privately or her privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses, it, you should have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again. So everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. (laughs) I don't know how to reconcile that. We'll, We'll cross that bridge when we get there. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, that person is or should be treated as a pagan or corrupt tax collector. I didn't say it. There are words in red. Those are Jesus' words. I just want to put that disclosure in there. I read some things too and have a real hard, it's a real hard pill to swallow sometimes. Um, I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth, okay, we're going a little too far, but anyways, we see how to handle conflict. Right? There's going to be some conflict in our relationship, friends. We're going to come across some impasses. But what's the bigger objective here? To come together. Why? Because in our togetherness, Jesus is present. We're going to follow this track for a little bit, probably next week also. And define things a little bit clearer. Um, bring it to uh, a kind of point 
where we can understand what church is all about, what life as believers, living in community, doing the Sunday thing. Actually, with us, it's the Monday through Saturday thing. So we're not going to stop here. What I'm saying that is because where I'm going to end is really not the end, and you can probably feel a little bit lost. Like, where did, where, what was that? You, know, like you just spells all that out? Why? Because we're going to take the conversation a little further. And I have no interest in keeping you later to do that. I have no interest in torturing myself nor you. Someone say, praise God. Because there's a lot of charismatic preachers out there that would... would, 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 would. I almost choked on my own water. I made myself laugh. Let me close with this statement. We live in a culture where independence is celebrated. Now, I'm not just talking about our independence as Americans. You know, our freedom from other nations, you know, not to live under dictatorship. I'm talking that real independence. Uh, what's that song? There's a song, Independence, isn't there? All you ladies are independent women. Yeah, that kind of attitude, you know, like, ah. I am an island unto myself. No one can offend me. No one can hurt me. Just me and my island. But we live in a culture where that type of attitude is celebrated. And consumerism has been the prevailing factor, if you would, in the church, where we are not just looking for what we can give, but what we can get. But again, that is foreign to the New Testament church. Acts 2, 42 through 47. We see the New Testament church. Man, it was anything but individuals unto a plot of land by themselves. It was them coming together. Their resources, their money, their time, their treasures, their talents. They came together and put it all there. So here it is. Here it is. Let's do something with it. Turn real quickly, and this is where we're close. First John. First John. One, chapter one, verse seven. And if I can find it, I know you're like well, the pastor doesn't even know where First John is. Oh my God. First John, no, I do, I'm just kidding. Uh, chapter 1, verse 7. Listen, 90% of the things I'm saying, I'm just kidding. I mean, I should probably say 45% of the things I'm saying, I'm just kidding. Okay? A lot of things are said with lack of sincerity and honesty. No, uh, but when it comes down to the meat of the message, <laughs> when it comes to the message, I am 100%. But when I apologize for being loud or, yeah, it's not real. <laughs> <laughs> John, First John chapter 1, verse 7, one verse. Dear friends, oh, no, that's not First John chapter 1, 7. Lord, help me, Jesus. Hold on, we're going to find it. Yes, it is, First John. Sorry, it is First John chapter 1, verse 7. Just wasn't chap chapter 2, that's all. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, you guys are on point. Thank you. Miriam, rock on. 
But if we are living in the light, if we are living in the light, look at it. But if, that's a big if right there. If we are living in the light, as God is in the light, God is where? He's in the light. And if we're living there as God is in the light, then we will have what? Fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So if we pursue God and live in His light, what is the end result? Well, one of the end results is we have fellowship with one another. And the other result is that in fellowship, living in the light of God, the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Oftentimes, I think we think that... I'm looking at this first to make sure I have it right. Oftentimes, I think we think that our pursuit of God only isolates us from one another. Where we're, we can't be relatable because we're just in a deep place with God. Oh, a deep place. Ooh. You know? Oh, brother, I'm, I'm pursuing. I'm living in the light. I really don't understand what you're talking about or what you're praying or preaching. It's not where I'm connecting. It's not what I'm connecting with. But in truth, John is saying, if we truly are pursuing to live in God's life, then the result of that is it will only create a stronger sense of fellowship amongst one another. It won't isolate us. I mean, I talked to somebody this week. I love him with all my heart. But he's going through a hard time. I'm not going to mention his name. I almost did, but just a joke. Um, but he was telling me all about his problems. And we're, I'm hearing it as a pastor. And then he, he interjects briefly with this. He's like, but man, the Lord is doing great things. You don't understand. I'm trying to like, bring it all together in my mind. I'm like, okay, so I just heard like a laundry list of problems. And then you interject with this thing that God seems to be doing currently in your heart. Now, I, I believe you can have problems and God can do still good things in your heart. I certainly believe that. Some of the most trying times in my life, God comes through big time. But I realized in talking to this guy that he had really isolated him and his family from the church. And I would go to, as far as even say, he mentioned this. I'm like, okay, I, I, okay, all right. All right, so we have problems, we have God's doing great things, and then we have the isolation factor. And I, I simply said to him, man, let me just interject the scripture and, and ask me what you think. If God is doing great things, even in the midst of the problems, then why are you so isolated? Why are you so not there? 90%, guys, of what we do is just being there. It's being present. It's coming. It's showing up. It's not shutting off the alarm clock because we're about ready to get up for service at 10 o'clock. Hallelujah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know where I'm going with this, right? Yeah. Some, some of that's just going to teach us how to be more, more disciplined with our time. Oh, that, you're talking about, I, now you're, you're coming into my space. Discipline with my time? Yeah. Yeah. 
So if God is truly doing good things in our heart, the end result should be that we are growing in stronger fellowship with one another. And because of that fellowship, because of how God is seen, um, how He is, through the counsel of many, known, the blood of Jesus covers us. Because why? We're, we're not just trying to get it and do it ourselves. We're, we're kind of leaning into our brothers. We're leaning into our sisters. We're not isolating ourselves. We're not isolating ourselves. But we're saying, brother, I got this problem or this thing is happening. I want to draw closer with my, with my fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. That was lame. But let me just say, I want to draw closer with my community. I need you. You need me. And I need you more than just sitting in these seats on Sunday. <laughs> Come on, church is more than just being a seat warmer. It's more than that, guys. And I know some of us come from other parts of the city and to think about, you know, coming into another city and really building roots in a church seems kind of like a waste of time. It's not a waste of time. Matter of fact, if I talk to your pastor of where you're really from or the pastor that raised you or was your pastor when you were growing up, he'd probably say, listen, listen, you need to get your butt in a church, not just warming the seat, but in true, authentic relationship. Why, why don't we have that in the church? I believe it's because of this. We suffer so much. There is so much that happens behind closed doors, if you would, that ultimately, because of the devil's work, isolate us from one another. I can say that. Why? Because I was that guy. I was that guy. I couldn't bring myself to that authentic relationship. Why? Because there was things I was hiding. I, I, I'm, I'm being very candid with you. I, 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 was, I didn't want that kind of relationship. I thought it went just so far. Let me sit on the seat. Let me just hear that message one day a week. And then I'll go home to my little closet. My, my prayer closet. Everybody's got a prayer closet. It's hardly ever used. Collecting you know, cobwebs and dust, but we all got one. But in the midst of having a prayer closet, our life is a mess. <laughs> they don't add up. And that's why community, New Testament church, works. Amen? Amen? Guys, I'm excited about this. I really am. I am not trying, I, I'm not trying to be angry hateful, spiteful. I am passionate about real community. I am passionate about real church. It doesn't always, it doesn't always happen that way. It's, you know, it's a little rough around the edges. Why? Because we're a little rough around the edges. But we do our best. We do our best. We'll get better at it. The question is, will you be part of it? Will you be part of changing the facts that 98%? Well, I'm not from here. Well, you are here. I get it. I get it. I really do get it, guys. Listen, I don't buy that some students are just overworked. This is not the busiest time of your life. 
Try having a couple kids and a wife to wake up to every morning. Then you'll find out what your busiest time of your life is. This ultimately is the time of your life and you should be giving all that you have to the local church. Is it okay to say that? You, me, us, red, yellow, black and white, 40 plus, 20s, 15, 18, we should be giving ourselves to the house of God. Come on. And listen, I, I want to I touch on one more thing, and then I promise we're going to bring this conversation further. We're going to define it clearer. But for all my church hoppers out there, stop it. Now hear me on this. I love you. You are wasting your energy and your time window shopping. Find a place to grow, to give your time, your treasure, your talents. Invest there. Be there. Serve. Sweat. Pick up speakers, glory to God. Load trailers. Welcome to the family of God. It ain't pretty, but it is His family. He loves it, and it is the one thing that Jesus is wholeheartedly committed to. Building, organizing, and bringing together was this message okay? Yes. Do you hear my heart? Yes. I'm going to write a song about church hoppers and we're going to play it next Sunday. No, I'm just joking. Be a catchy tune. Listen, let's bow our heads and close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the zeal that we see in David's life for not only the presence of God, but the house of God. Lord, we ask God that by your grace, you would give us that zeal. I love your house. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen, guys, we love you. We really do.